Cause we got the alternative energy Molecular free autonomy And welcome to the Radioactive Show Produced at the studios of 3CR Melbourne And heard nationally on the Community Radio Network Hello and welcome to the Radioactive Show I'm Michaela and on this week's program We'll hear some more from Vince Scapatura Vince teaches politics and international relations at Macquarie University and his research interests include Australian and American foreign policies, the international relations of the Asia-Pacific and Middle East politics and he's a member of the Independent and Peaceful Australia Network, IPAN and a supporter of the international campaign to abolish nuclear weapons. We heard a little bit from Vince on last week's show outlining the scope of the AUKUS submarine deal. You can listen back to that show on our webpage 3cr.org.au forward slash radioactive. And on today's program, we'll go into further discussions with him about just some of the problematic issues with this $368 billion project that was announced a couple of weeks ago. With this huge focus and this massive expenditure on equipment, it really would appear like it's all about making money for these massive defence companies rather yeah. than any strategic reasoning given all the issues with that kind of strategy. Yes, well, I mean, the media reports that Rishi Sunak of the UK was kind of giddy with glee over when he made the announcement because it's going to you know, save the UK economy um, and Australia's going to be subsidising that. Um, and yet the defence companies are also really happy, obviously. Um, but you can also see how there's lots of ways in which it could go wrong, and there are plenty out there who suggest uh, or are predicting. Uh, for example, uh, former... Um, Deputy Defence of Australian Defence Department, Hugh White, who's predicting that Australia will never operate nuclear-powered submarines because there's just too many ways that this thing is going to go wrong. The idea of us operating two different types of submarines and we can barely um, kind of uh, have enough submariners to operate our own current uh, current common-class submarines and these uh, submarines are going to be significantly bigger. We don't have any experience in uh, uh, operating and maintaining nuclear-powered submarines, which means we're going to be dependent on the US and UK, particularly the US, for that. There's a whole training arrangement that's going to go on uh, to, to help us try and prepare for that. But there are many who are sceptical that this will even kind of get off get off the ground. But I'm, I'm actually more more worried about um, not if it doesn't succeed, but what if it does succeed? Because I think there are serious strategic implications, proliferation implications, mm. implications for regional regional peace and stability um, for Australia to acquire these um, kind of very deadly and potent force projection power uh, capabilities. Yeah, that's it. It would seem that these will further erode non-proliferation treaties, increasing tensions in the region, which could really push us to the brink of an actual war involving nuclear weapons. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So there's a few things to that. I mean, first of all, just to be clear, these are obviously nuclear-powered summaries, not nuclear-armed summaries. Mm. But nevertheless... Um, there's a dangerous precedent that's going to be set because Australia will be the first uh, non-nuclear weapons uh, country to be operating uh, nuclear-powered submarines and also a signatory to the NPT, the Nuclear Non-Proliferation Treaty, which means we need to have significant oversight of, um, of highly enriched uranium. Um, but that's going to be difficult given these are very sensitive military technologies. 
And, uh, um, and just to be clear, the kind of uranium um, that's going to be used in the reactors is highly enriched. It's weapons grade, bomb grade. So we're going to be in, in, in possession of, of bomb grade uranium. And, um, you know, there's this concern that other countries might say, well, if Australia can have bomb grade uranium uh, and they're a signatory to the NPT, why can't we have bomb grade uranium as well? And so there's a public proliferation risk there. There's also the risk that, um, you know, other regional powers who for a long time have wanted nuclear powered submarines, particularly South Korea, uh, but also Japan, uh, very strong allies of the United States, treaty allies might say, well, if you give this technology to Australia, um, well, why not give it to us as well? Right? Uh, we have similar concerns. We're just as close to you as Australia is apparently, so uh, why don't we get that technology as well? Uh, so there's concerns about this kind of uh, creating some kind of regional arms race. But then more, more important than anything um, else, I think, is um, what you alluded to, which was about the kind of uh, big red target that this paints on Australia. Um, with respect to China, China finds this incredibly uh, provocative. Um, and it, because, uh, you know, why do you want nuclear-powered submarines? I mean, you want nuclear-powered submarines because you want to project power, because they have superior endurance. In particular, they can uh, uh, loiter under un, un, under sea for, uh, um, for long periods of time, very far away from your shores. So if you're concerned just about you know, defending your, your continent against an attack, you don't need nuclear-powered submarines, or the, the, the benefits of them are and as great as they are for if you want to engage in um, you know, long-distance operations. Say, for example, Australia wants to have a, a submarines uh, loiter off China's coast in the South China Sea. Uh, and that's, in fact, probably the theater operations where they're uh, most likely to uh, be deployed. And, uh, and that, of course, as you can imagine, for uh, China is quite threatening. And it's quite threatening in, in, in actually an existential way, um, which I think this particular point has been made very well in the media coverage of this. And that is that um, China relies on its nuclear-armed submarines for its second strike capability, which means that uh, it is worried that it is vulnerable uh, to a first strike from the United States, which could take out all of its land-based nuclear weapons, and it would rely on its submarines uh, deep in the ocean in order to uh, deter the United States from, um, from, from undertaking a first strike. Uh, but uh, the U.S. also has very significant anti-submarine warfare capabilities, uh, and in particular, uh, its uh, nuclear attack submarines are constantly trying to track and uh, and uh, monitor um, uh, Chinese uh, 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 submarines, uh, nuclear submarines. And so this is an Australian contribution here. These nuclear power submarines would be an Australian contribution to a U.S. effort uh, to uh, undermine uh, China's second strike nuclear capability, which for China is a, you know, an existential kind of fear and concern. It's um, yeah. It's, it's really the, the. I mean, we 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 have all sorts of capabilities and are a host all sorts of, of of U.S. power projection capabilities that China you know would be concerned and worried about. It would be likely used in a U.S. war with China, but we couldn't pick any other weapon aside from a nuclear weapon itself, which would be more concerning um, and more provocative to China than than this particular um, defense capability. That kind of support for the U.S. military interests and warmongering with China seems to have become so deeply embedded in our political leadership. And I know you've written a lot about grooming of young leaders in universities across the country by the U.S. Embassy and Department of State, their lobbying powers, and you've written a lot about the... Australian-American leadership dialogue mm-hmm. that 
Albanese has affirmed that he's participated in also. How big a part does that play in this scenario that that we're seeing now? Yeah, yeah. So, and there's extra, I mean, we we hear a lot about the extraordinary military and intelligence links uh, between Australia and the United States, that Australia and the US almost have a kind of melding of their forces. In fact, even this August announcement, the uh, White House official who gave the background briefing to journalists talked about uh, an almost unimaginable degree of integration between Australia and US military. So I think, you know, uh, most people are very familiar that we are and have long been very well integrated to the US in that, that respect. But there's also a significant kind of political integration uh, and a significant amount of kind of US soft power in Australia, which, you know, has resulted in this kind of unbreakable bipartisan consensus. On, uh, an ever, on, on pursuing an ever closer relationship with the United States without you know, proper media scrutiny, without um, um, you know, much or any dissent at the bipartisan level. And as a result, um, you know, Australians are just left uninformed about what the um, particular risks are for Australia. And there's um, uh, just a, a general kind of uh, lack of debate on and a lack of kind of uh, uh, democratic decision-making over something as important as Australia taking this unprecedented step in acquiring these very kind of potent and expensive defence capabilities, which has real implications for our own sovereignty and our own independence as well. So, uh, yeah, I mean, we, we, we've seen the um, address that uh, Paul Keating uh, gave to the Prescott Gallery uh, just a couple of days ago. There was lots of commentary about former Prime Minister Keating's kind of escaping critiques of, of, of journalists and for failing to uh, properly critique the um, the AUKUS announcement, but also his own former, um, or his own party, the Labor Party, which he used to lead, for bending over without any attempt to provide some kind of, kind of challenge or opposition or critique to the AUKUS announcement. And the response to Paul Keating in the media today and yesterday is quite extraordinary. There's a whole lot of criticism of how he's out of touch and, and, and a critique of his very kind of impolite and, and personal attacks on, on the individual journalist, which fine, you know, I don't necessarily condone that. But the substance of what he was saying, which is the critique of the AUKUS uh, agreement, based on the fact that China does not pose a military threat to Australia, it's just never broached. You know, I mean, he's, he's the only one to say it. And the whole political national security establishment, media discussion about this totally voids that particular central question, like why are we getting these submarines uh, to protect ourselves from China? What military threats does China pose to Australia? You know, the question is asked. And that, that level of kind of obedience um, to, um, to just pursuing an ever closer relationship with the United States is kind of partly a reflection of this incredible kind of soft power that the United States holds in Australia and the level of kind of political national security integration that you know, is a part and parcel of the, of the military and intelligence integration as well. You're tuned to the Radioactive Show, produced in the studios of 3CR in Fitzroy, Victoria, on the unceded lands of the Kulin Nation, and broadcast across the continent thanks to the Community Radio Network. We're just hearing from Vince Gapatura, a teacher of politics and international relations at Macquarie University, 
and he's also the author of a book, The U.S. Lobby and Australian Defence Policy, in which he demonstrates how these are underpinned by the work of the Australian-American Leadership Dialogue, which is Australia's most important private pro-U.S. lobby group. The book was put out by Monash University Publishing, so you can just do an internet search if you want to find that and order it, or head to your local library and get them to order a copy in. Let's return to our conversation with Vince. Now, in November last year, the Independent and Peaceful Australian Network that you're part of released the report Charting Our Own Course which was a people's inquiry questioning Australia's involvement in US wars. And that report concluded that diplomacy must be bolstered and prioritised over militarism. How was the report received at its launch in Parliament? Yeah, so um, this was a result of a about 18 months inquiry where uh, we sought the input from the Australian public and particularly those voices that are you know, concerned and critical about our ever closer relationship with the United States and to give them an opportunity to have their concerns voiced and, and heard as a result of the, the lack of an opportunity to hear those dissenting voices in our kind of mainstream media. And uh, the response was quite, a, uh, quite extraordinary. We had um, over 300 submissions and uh, as a result, um, you know, a report was, was produced. I was one of the panel leaders for the military and defence uh, section of the report. But there were six or seven different sections um, covering a whole variety of different areas. And uh, we had a, yeah, an official launch of the report in Canberra. It was very well attended. Um, and then it was, uh, it was tabled in, in, in Parliament as well. And, you know, I mean, of course, the, the major parties kind of totally ignored us and ignored the report, but that was to be expected. But I think overall the the reception that we've had from kind of civil society organisations has been very positive. And yeah, the, the emphasis of the report is completely opposite to the emphasis that we've heard in recent days with respect to the AUKUS agreement. You know, uh, it's all, the AUKUS agreement and Australia's kind of increasing uh, military build-up is uh, all about deterrence. And all we hear about is deterrence. We need to deter you know, China by beefing up our own military. Uh, there's, there's nothing about promoting peace or ways that we can act to promote peace. It's just an assumption that uh, China is an aggressive power that will only respond to some kind of hard-nosed military deterrent strategy when, in fact, China's only going to react to this with its own uh, attempts to counter the, the perceived threat that it has, uh, and, and so the cycle goes on. So what we need in instead, what was outlined in the report, is you know a, a scaling back of militarization on both sides. I mean, China has been engaging in provocative activities too in the South China Sea, but it's in part responding to uh, genuine defense concerns um, that it, uh, and strategic concerns that it has with large US and allied military forces all surrounding it. So there needs to be a scaling back of both sides. But that requires both sides to, um, to be able to live with the other. And certainly on the case of the United States, it's very clear that it's kind of objective in the region is, is, is to maintain its position as top dog, uh, to maintain its military hegemony, and until it's willing to kind of accommodate some strategic space for China, we can't expect China is, is going to respond to our demands for, for demilitarization as well. So what we're calling for is kind of a mutual demilitarization and a, an effort in promoting peace, arms control, diplomacy, not spending hundreds of billions of dollars on provocative nuclear-powered attack submarines. 
Yeah, that's it. When you think about this kind of money and imagine what could be achieved with that if it was used to build peace and justice in the region. Yeah, it's not even just about the opportunity cost. I mean, we've already had Peter Dutton, opposition leader, say he would support a cut to the NDIS, National Disability Insurance Scheme, in order to pay for the submarines because we are going to have to have some kind of cuts to pay for them. Um, Our our defence budget, which is about 2% of GDP at the moment, is probably going to go up to something like 2.5% of GDP. So there's going to be cuts somewhere. And already we've had the opposition say, well, NDIS would be a good place to... So, you know, it's not just the opportunity cost, it's the fact that we're going to have to have, you know, cuts in health and education and other, other areas in order to pay for these extremely provocative weapons that are not only addressing a phantom threat, but in fact are going to you know, undermine regional peace and security and, and paint a much larger target on us than we already have. What are the opportunities or what do you see needs to happen with the peace movement in order to counter what's going on? Yeah, well, look, I think we um, have not don't have to be careful not falling into the trap and thinking that that AUKUS and everything that AUKUS represents is inevitable. We're kind of told over and over and over again that, you know, the choice has been made. That is the choice between uh, Australia kind of uh, joining with the United States and any potential future conflict with China. Uh, That choice has already been made. And I think it's repeated over and over and over again for a reason, uh, and that is to, you know, convince us that there is no opportunity or option for ordinary civil society to resist. That is a foregone conclusion. And uh, look, I myself have been guilty of, of, of I think, of, of falling into that trap too and saying, look, look what's happening at the political and military intelligence level, look at the level of bipartisan support, you know, what, what um, it's clear that our political decision makers have already opted to, you know, side with the United States and to join them in any potential future, you know, war with China. But, but actually, um, you know, what happens in the future and what the long-term prospects are for Australia's role in peace or undermining it in the region does reside still with the Australian people and Australian population. And I think um, our political leaders know that, and that's why they continue to try and kind of uh, um, uh, repeat the idea that, you know, the choice has been made already because they want us to think that there isn't a choice. But there is. We do have a choice. There are, I think, real concerns about the, about the sovereignty implications, particularly of this AUKUS agreement. I mentioned former Prime Minister Paul Keating, but even former Prime Minister Malcolm Turnbull, for example, you know, uh, is no doubt, uh, has also expressed concerns about the sovereignty of this particular deal. So that the costs for Australia uh, increase as we become more important um, out the United States as increasing its strategic kind of competition with China. Uh, there are opportunities, um, I think, to, to, to make the case in the Australian public about what the issues are and how the dangers for us in, in taking this path are you know, very real and very serious, and to pressure our political leaders to, to step back from this kind of fear-mongering and war-mongering. I think the biggest kind of uh, consequence for this, I think, is the way that yeah, it ties Australia to the, to the United States, uh, makes us even more dependent and makes us much harder to make a, a, a independent decision about whether we will want to go to war with the US or not. And I think it's, you know, history is an important um, teacher for us here. How many wars have we joined the United States in that have gone well for us or for them or for anybody? We should really think seriously about about that and take those lessons seriously and be a little bit more cautious before jumping in with the United States and, and tying ourselves to, uh, to their kind of their regional strategic objectives. This is The Radioactive Show and we just heard from Vince Capitura and he's doing a lot of work with the Independent and Peaceful Australia Network. 
and really involved with their People's Inquiry, which looked at the costs and consequences of Australia's involvement in US-led wars and the US alliance and what the alternatives are. And they released that report in November last year. And you can read that online or order a physical copy via their website, ipan.org. We'll go now to hear a speech from Alexia Fuentes, the chairperson of Anak Bayan, a Melbourne Filipino youth group, and they're speaking at a call for peace, truth not war rally held on Saturday the 18th of March. With MC for the day, Dave Sweeney, nuclear free campaigner with the Australian Conservation Foundation, introducing. This week has seen our neighbours in the Pacific who have a long history and a long memory and long impacts of nuclear uh, testing and colonialism and resistance. They've expressed concern. Indonesia has expressed concern. Malaysia has expressed concern. Lots of countries have, not just China, lots of countries throughout the Asia Pacific region, our region, a dynamic region have expressed concern. Our next speaker is one who understands that. Alexia Fientes is uh, involved with Bayan, which is a Philippine solidarity group. And this freedom, peace, no war and nuclear free has been a powerful theme in Philippine politics. Great to welcome Alexia here today. Thank you. Hello everyone, my name is Alexia Fuentes. I am a Filipino trans woman activist and I'm the chairperson of Anak Bayan Melbourne and the secretary general of Bayan Australia. Bayan, short for Bagong Alianza Makabayan or New Patriotic Alliance, is a multi-sectoral alliance of progressive mass organizations and we are part of the national democratic movement in the Philippines and represent the voice of the Filipino people as well as the Filipino migrant community here in Australia. The drums of war are being beaten by the US in the Asia Pacific region. Countries such as the Philippines, Australia and other Southeast Asian nations are being dragged into another senseless war of aggression. It is they who will suffer the brunt of any future conflict. If anything, all of these military posturing, escalation of conflict and troop deployment are what threatens peace. It is the average working masses that not only suffer from imperialist wars, but are also the ones to shoulder the cost of such wars to the detriment of their social and economic interests. The U.S. through the Enhanced Defense Cooperation Agreement with the Philippines has secured four more locations they are allowed to operate in, bringing this to a total of nine de facto U.S. military bases. This despite a constitutional ban on U.S. bases on Philippine soil. Under EDGAR, the U.S. is granted exclusive operational rights within Philippine military bases in exchange for military aid, joint military exercises, training, and intel gathering. American soldiers directly and indirectly join counterinsurgency operations against revolutionary armed groups as well as in suppressing legal activists and trade union leaders in the Philippines. The Enhanced Defense Cooperation Agreement, or EDGAR, signed in 2014 between the U.S. and the Philippine government supplements the Mutual Defense Treaty and Visiting Forces Agreement between the U.S. and the Republic of the Philippines. This is in line with the U.S. strategic geopolitical and military pivot in the Asia-Pacific, to contain China and impose further control over the region and its trade routes, which are integral to the export of goods and raw materials from the Philippines and other Southeast Asian countries to the West. 
To further strengthen and defend U.S. imperialist interests, the U.S. brokers various political alliances, traded military agreements such as EDCA, AUKUS, and QUAD, consolidating, consolidating their hold on the region and ensuring American-led military dominance in the Asia-Pacific. The U.S. wants the Philippines to remain a strategic partner, a euphemism for puppetry to maintain the semi-colonial and semi-feudal setup in the Philippines. The U.S. is not committed in defending the Philippines as demonstrated in the face of Chinese incursions into the West Philippine Seas. The U.S. and China's overtures and encroachment on the Philippines and other countries in the Pacific should be exposed and opposed as an inter-imperialist competition between two powers. The U.S. narrative paints it as if they are the defenders of peace and democracy by securing freedom of navigation in this region. They are neither defenders of peace and democracy nor the protectors of human rights and freedoms. Australia is a junior partner to the United States, provides financial and military aid to the Philippines. Despite the war on drugs, the anti-communist witch hunt, and the gross human rights violations under the then fascist Duterte regime and now continuing under the U.S. Marcos regime in the Philippines. But the United States doesn't care. The Filipino people's aspirations for national freedom and democracy can only be attained by, the end by ending the reign of imperialist domination and its puppet regimes. For many countries like the Philippines, there can only be lasting peace if the foundations for social justice and genuine sovereignty are put in place by the people themselves. We oppose the use of the Philippines for U.S. military intervention. We will not allow the U.S. to use the Philippines as a springboard for its wars of aggression. We will fight U.S. imperialism and we will struggle for national freedom and genuine sovereignty in the Philippines. Stop U.S. and Australian military aid to the Philippines. Jump EDCA, jump AUKUS. U.S. troops out of the Philippines now. Hands off the Philippines. Down with U.S. imperialism. Long live international solidarity. That was Alexia Fuentes from Anak Bayan speaking at the Call for Peace Truth Not War rally that was held on Saturday 18th of March and thanks so much to Annie McLaughlin for recording and sharing with us on the Radioactive Show. That brings us to the end of today's program. Big thanks to Vince Scapatura, Alexia Fuentes, Dave Sweeney and at this time it's so vital for us to work together with all the communities that are impacted uh, right across the continent and across the globe as we heard there from Alexia many people in other countries are experiencing impacts from US imperialism and if you want to connect with other groups with the broad-based Anti-AUKUS Coalition. You can do that via the website, antiaukuscoalition.org. So thank you so much for tuning in to today's program. As always, you can find the podcast of our shows at 3cr.org.au forward slash radioactive. You can subscribe to our podcast by searching Radioactive Show 3CR on your favorite podcast app. Thanks so much to the Nuclear Free Collective at Friends of the Earth Melbourne for the ongoing financial support for the show. 
and also to the Community Radio Network for getting this program out to community radio stations all across the country. Join us again next week for more news and views on nuclear peace and energy issues. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.